Hey guys. Hey, I think we're live now. First live of 2024. Can you believe it? It's January 18th. I had to check the date. I'm like, it's January 18th. Welcome back. For those who are going to listen to this on podcast, welcome back to the Lila Rose podcast. And hey guys, hey YouTube. Um, I'm going to be looking at the comment section here. I've got questions coming in via Instagram and we have a new locals page. By the way, do not forget to check out our locals page. Lots to talk about, lots to talk about today. This weekend is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. The fall of Roe v. Wade was a year and a half ago. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about um, Hannah Nealman and Ballerina Farm and the big pushback and internet debate about women and work and postpartum periods and having babies. I have lots of thoughts, especially since I myself am 29 weeks pregnant right now. And we're going to talk about Shia LaBeouf and his conversion. So you may know, but the Catholic Church welcomes Shia LaBeouf into it. Uh, he is now a Catholic. He came into the church just earlier this year. So kind of incredible. And we're going to also do a Q&A. So if you guys have questions, please put them in the chat. I've got a bunch of questions from Instagram, as well as from our Locals community. Locals is our new community that we're building you can go subscribe for free or become a paying member and get behind the scenes access to stuff. But that will be in the link in the bio where I'm really excited to be on the Locals platform. It's a free speech platform to connect in a more uh, close way with you guys. So really excited for today's episode. I wanna start with the great news of this headline. So this was from the last couple months and the study found that the overturning of Roe v. Wade led to 32,000 additional births. And I just wanna pause for a moment because a lot of people were like, what's the big deal about, you know, Roe v. Wade is overturned, yes, but it's a backlash that's happening, right? All these states are now really pro-abortion and America, you know, pro-abortion Americans or pro-choice Americans are so angry. So has it really done much good to overturn Roe v. Wade? And the reality is, it's done 32,000 individual boys and girls a lifetime of good because they actually got to be born. And I, I can't, there's no words to really describe the gift and the potential of one life and one life spared from the violence of abortion. But to say that there's 32,000 lives that were spared because Roe was overruled, it's something that we should be celebrating daily. People say, well, what does that mean? How did they actually get spared from abortion because of Roe being overruled? Well, that's because when Roe v. Wade was overturned, and this is, of course, the 1973 Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion on demand across the country, there were these trigger laws that went into effect across the country. So several states, over a dozen states had trigger laws, which meant that they would ban abortion or ban many abortions if Roe v. Wade was overruled. They weren't allowed to do that as long as Roe v. Wade was in, uh, in, in effect. So when it was overruled, states like Idaho, states like Texas could ban abortions. And when that happened, many women ended up choosing life, not having an abortion because that easy fix of an abortion wasn't available the way that it was before. Abortion access, as the pro-abortion side calls it, does matter. You know, if you can just go and show up at an abortion clinic, you know, a few miles from your home or your apartment or whatever, it's much easier to choose death than to choose life. But the whole idea of the pro-life movement is make it easier and better to choose life than to choose death. Make that the better option. And part of that is absolutely banning abortion. So 32,000 children have been born because of the fall of Roe and don't believe anybody who tells you that the pro-life movement is losing or that you know the pro-life cause is a failed cause. It is completely false. Are there real problems right now that we have faced as a movement? Yes. Are children dying and we need to save them? Yes. Are states like California totally crazy and pro-abortion? Yes. Are there states that have banned abortion and fighting for life? Also, yes. Have more lives been saved than taken because of the fall of Roe? Also, yes. So there's tons of good news. And I think now's the time to double down on the pro-life fight. That's what I'm doing. That's what Live Action, my organization's doing. Um, this weekend, 
There's the March for Life in DC and the Walk for Life in San Francisco. There's also events across the country. I will be at the Walk for Life in San Francisco. I will be speaking with a few thousand of my closest friends. I hope you guys come if you're Californian or you're out here. It's going to be really fun and amazing to be with thousands of Californians who are fighting for life. We're not giving up on the state. Even though abortion was enshrined in our constitution with um, Proposition 1, which is just totally devastating, there are millions of pro-life Americans in California, millions of families that believe in life and the sanctity of life, and we're working day in, day out to change the culture. And we're going to keep doing that. We're not going to go away. We're going to keep doing that until we saturate this state with love and life. And, And that's the power of the individual. And that's what my speech will be about at uh, the Walk for Life. And I think celebration's part of it. And then also saying, look, we can change the world by living pro-life lives ourselves and by being conduits of grace for other people. Um, This was me at the last Walk for Life um, a few years ago, right before my book came out, holding a kind of awkward sign. Um, My mother-in-law actually made this for me, handcrafted. It was very sweet and brought it to me. So of course I had to do a photo op, but this was when my book came out. And my book, Fighting for Life, is all about that. It's about how to be an activist and effective in the fight for life, and then how to grow as a human being to be the best woman or man we can be so that we can make the biggest impact. So anyways, you can check that out. Um, Obviously, you can get that at um, Amazon or liveaction.org, but I'm very excited to be back in San Francisco to uh, march to walk for life with thousands of other pro-life Californians. We are out there. California is not dead. (laughs) We are very much alive and fighting for the future. Okay. Oh, thanks. Some, uh, um, some comments here. Thanks, Samantha. I think that's Sammy. I think that's Sammy. Thanks, Sammy. Um, she says, such a good book. And um, I just want to look at another comment on the YouTube live here now that we're finally live. Um, Sam Stevens says, I waver between pro-life and abolitionist positions. 32,000 children saved, I think, is a win for the pro-life incrementalism approach. I mean, yes and no in that some of those lives are saved because of absolutist positions that were fought hard for in states like Idaho. So um, I do think that we need abolitionism as a movement. It's necessary. It's the end game. Um, Am I going to say, you know, if there's a pro-life bill versus no pro-life bill that is going to save some lives and say you shouldn't have that bill that saves lives? No, of course not. I'm going to say Saving some lives is better than saving none, but we should always fight for the end game as a movement, which is equal protection, complete equal protection for all preborn children. They are humans just like us and should be treated so under the law, and they have that right as promised by the 14th Amendment. So I do think the official position of the pro-life movement should be abolitionism, meaning complete abolition of abortion, and we should be unapologetic about that. I think that is the way to go. Okay, so I want to show you guys now something that's very inspiring, and it's from one of our sponsors at the podcast. You've heard of them before, Every Life. I love Every Life. That's America's pro-life diaper and wipes company. It's best in class pro-life diapers and wipes. But what they did recently and just yesterday is they came out with a new campaign, and it's in Times Square on a billboard, and Elon Musk is involved. Yes, that guy. (laughs) Elon Musk is involved in this pro-life campaign. So let me explain that. But we're going to start by watching their new ad video, which kind of made me teary eyed. And that's probably because I'm that's probably because I'm 29 weeks pregnant. So pregnancy hormones are real. But we can watch this watch this video now. So should we have policies that penalize people for having extra kids in the developed world? I mean, I hope this you guys can hear about this. Increasing their power, imposing their vision, and their vision is population control. I also had my first abortion at the Seattle Planned Parenthood. Uh, population control, there's too many people on the planet. child on the face of the earth is unique and distinct and precious. Our potential is our children. Children are our future. Before the cities and governments, there were families. And the family is the most important institution in the world. 
I love it. Well done, Every Life. Very moving. And so their slogan, their new slogan that they put in this new video is make more babies, which I love. I mean, get married and make more babies. I'd add that. But yes, having babies is so the future. So should we have policy? And uh, they also put a billboard up in Times Square to spread the message, make more babies, make more babies. And they have Elon Musk's uh, tweet or X quote, whatever you call it now, which is Elon Musk is saying, having children is saving the world. So they put up his tweet and they put up the sign that says make more babies. And it's so funny because Elon Musk, who is, you know, this kind of, I don't know, very unique, obviously person. He bought Twitter, changed it into X. He's this, you know, amazing SpaceX, Tesla, all those things. Um, one of the wealthiest, if not wealthiest man in the world. He has repeatedly said, especially on X, on Twitter, formerly Twitter, that we need more children. And he keeps saying things like this. He makes these, he basically drops these pro-life tweets <laughs> pretty regularly. And I, I love to see it. I mean, it's based Elon, right? When he does this. And it's because he says that the world is experiencing population decline and it's going to really harm the whole future of the planet of humanity. And he's right. Despite what the naysayers say, people say, oh, the world is overpopulated, Oh, children bring, unhumans bring extra carbon footprint. And so that's going to damage the environment and the future cause of climate change and environmental pressures. And they say that people should only have one or two children or have no children. And there's a lot of, I, I call it, it, uh, it, I mean, it is called antinatalism against children, against the future of humanity, which is children, uh, that sentiment. It's across the country, um, this country, and it's across the globe. The reality is, though, it's false because we are actually experiencing demographic winter, demographic declines in most of the West, meaning we're not replacing ourselves. Uh, in the United States, the only reason our population isn't shrinking right now is because of immigration. Immigration is great, but we should also be having children. We should also be raising the next generation. And we're not doing enough of that. And the same with most of Europe. And also, again, most of those countries, it's only immigration that's keeping them afloat. You need about 2.1 minimum babies, children, to replace the one adult. Um, and the reality is that's not happening. Many people are not having any kids or they're just having one or maybe just two. But I think the Make More Babies concept is beautiful. We should be celebrating families that have children and supporting them. One of the reasons I support tax credits and better paternity and maternity leaves and actually cash benefits for families, married parents that have kids. I think these are all public policies that we should be celebrating instead of abortion, right? Obviously, instead of contraception. I mean, that's what, unfortunately, so much of our public policy is about. You know, reproductive health care, you know, parent Planned Parenthood, even the name is so deceptive. It's all about not planning parenthood. It's about destroying parenthood and destroying kids. And taxpayers have to fund that. I mean, Planned Parenthood gets a half a billion dollars a year from taxpayers, the biggest abortion chain. And they're not planning anybody's parenthood. They're destroying everybody's parenthood who walks in through their doors. So it's a, the, the biggest lie in history, um, in our country's history, the biggest scam. And we have to support it. So anyways, that's why politics matter. That's a topic for another day. I'm not going to get into all of that. But the reality is uh, we have a responsibility to celebrate children and support other people having kids. And then if we're married, to be open to life. And life is, life is everything. Life is the future. So Elon Musk, I hope that he comes around to the pro-life position fully and uses some of his money to support the pro-life movement because we'd love to put billboards up in every country and every uh, uh, city, sorry, in every country, yes, too. But we'd love to do so much more pro-life messaging everywhere at Live Action. And I love what Every Life is doing here. So anyway, shout out to Every Life. Great job on your ad and on your new campaign. You guys are awesome. I know the team over there and everylife.com is amazing. You know, again, if you're not already signed up for their diapers and wipes, you should definitely do it um, for your little one or your loved one's little one. And because we, we got to put the ad in here too, I have to remind you that you can use the code Lila at checkout at everylife.com for your diapers and wipes and you'll get 10% off your purchase. So if you haven't done it already, great way to celebrate 
the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And you can go to everylife.com, order diapers and wipes for your loved one, your little one, and use the code Lila at checkout for 10% off your order. It's America's diaper, uh, America's baby diaper company. And they support the pro-life movement, which is so cool. Um, Okay. Speaking of babies, lots of babies to talk about today. Uh, Hannah Nealman just had her eighth baby. Who Who is Hannah Nealman? Hannah Nealman is the reigning Mrs. American, and she's also the person behind Ballerina Farms, the mother and the wife behind the business and the social media accounts called Ballerina Farms. I want to talk about her because she recently went viral again, and I think there's some important takeaways from her and what she's doing with her life. And there's some controversy that she has been uh, stirring up, whether it's on purpose or not. But let's start with this. There's an article, Live Action News, scroll to the top here. And the headline is, wow, Mrs. American competes in world pageant just 12 days after delivering her eighth baby. Okay, think about that for a minute. She just had her eighth baby and she now is competing in a international pageant as Mrs. American. Okay, what is Mrs. American? It's another pageant alongside Mrs. America and Miss World where you can be pregnant, you can be a mother, you can be married, you can be older and you can still compete. So it's basically, my understanding of it is you can have, it's kind of open to any woman. And Hannah Nealman won the Mrs. American title to represent America on the world stage. The only thing is the pageant was just less than two weeks after the delivery of her eighth baby. So I don't know about you, anyone listening, let me know what your postpartum was like, but every woman's postpartum is different. And sometimes postpartums all the time, they're trying, right? Because, you know, bringing a new life into the world is no small feat. It's arguably the most difficult and arduous, but beautiful thing you can physically do with your body to bring a new life into the world as a woman, of course. And, you know, when I had my first baby, um, Peter, four years ago, you know, 24-hour labor, I didn't sleep for 40 hours. It was the most physically difficult thing that I had ever done in my life. And I remember afterwards, I was blown away by the gift of this new baby in my arms and gratitude that he was safe and I was safe. And I was also blown away by how challenging it had been to bring him into the world, but that by the God, the grace of God, I was able to bring him into the world. And I think many women have this experience. They just are like, wow, I can't believe that I did that. And oh my gosh, that was that was really hard. And it's not supposed to be scary, but yeah, some of the best things in life are hard. And the reason that we're talking about this in context of Hannah Nealman and Ballerina Farm is because she posted a video to social media sharing about her journey of preparing for the pageant, this global beauty pageant. Well, she was just 12 days postpartum. So I wanna play this video from her Instagram account. I don't know if you guys can hear this. Let me see, you might have to click the bottom sound button. There you go. Let me know if you guys can hear this uh, Instagram video here that we're playing. Um, So basically she's getting her hair done. She just had a baby and you see this beautiful newborn baby. She's trying on clothes. She's trying to like put on her pageant clothes. She literally just delivered a baby. And um, she's wearing these beautiful dresses, trying to zip them up. I mean, after you have a baby, at least in my experience, I just wanted to, at least for a few days, lay in bed and do nothing. I'm, and here she is, like, walking around and, like, trying on clothes. And she she's going to get on a flight with a 12-day-old baby. And then you see that happen. She's in the airport. Um, and now she's in the dressing room, you know, getting her makeup and her hair done. So, anyways, this created tremendous controversy online. So she has, I think, over 8 million Instagram followers. She is a huge influencer and she posts this video and it's been viewed millions and millions of times. And the comments are going crazy, right? Because there's people saying, you're amazing. Look at you, you bounce back so quick. And then there's comments like this one and we can pause right here or scroll up a little bit further if you wanna pause the video. So like there's comments that she gets like this one, body checking videos at a week postpartum is quote unquote, is dot, 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 interesting. Um, AKA was like shade, like a little throwing shade on her. Like, why are you posting pics of your body so much after you just had a baby and checking out your body in the mirror and how they look and how it looks in clothes. And then scroll down. There's another comment that says, um, 
you look amazing, but I would like to state that this is extremely unrealistic for a woman 12 days postpartum. I'm not saying this as a put down, but more for the new mamas watching this. And she says, new mama, this is not normal. Do not compare yourselves to others, but especially to others on social media. You are not broken. Your baby is not broken. It's hard for everyone, even if they don't show the hard parts. You got this. And that comment alone has over 13,000 likes on this video. So a couple more things in context I should have said already, but Hannah Nealman, I said she's a massive influencer. She's a mother of eight. She's a young younger mother, and she runs this ballerina farm with her husband, um, she's also been criticized because her husband is very wealthy or he's from a very wealthy family. So they say she's sort of pretending to be, you know, entrepreneurial when really it's all been handed to her. I don't buy that. I think she works very hard. Maybe she got investment money from her family, but they work very hard on their, on their farm and with their business and they have beautiful kids and a beautiful family. But, you know, this comment and the comments that she was getting, I understand why many women felt frustrated or upset when they watched this video on her Instagram because maybe they felt jealous. They felt like that was not my postpartum experience. They felt like I did not bounce back that quickly. I did not get on a plane, nor did I want to and go compete in a beauty pageant. I do not live Hannah Nealman's life. I mean, I don't know all the thoughts that went through every woman's head, but I imagine that many women felt that somehow they were less than or they were being told that they were less than because their postpartums looked different. And the truth is every single postpartum does look different. I mean, that is a fact, right? I, there's women who have C-sections, they have fourth degree tears and they spend weeks and months in recovery, sometimes years even if it's a very, they have very serious complications. Um, that's a reality. That's some women's stories. And there's other women who after they gave birth, they did feel like they were really back to normal within a couple weeks. They felt like, maybe not 100% back to normal, but they felt like they wanted to go back into their life and like go on a, even a run, even though the doctor's like, maybe don't go on a run, but they just wanted to get back out there and be active. And they felt very physically healthy and, and well. That is a reality too for a, a small amount of women, but some women. I don't think that we should be competing against each other for our postpartum periods of, you know, after we have our babies. I don't think there needs to be competition. I don't think there needs to be looking down at other women because they do better or worse than we may have done. I think that the, the you know, the act of sharing something very personal on social media is very fraught, of course, it always has been. And there's lots of motivations behind why people share what they share. But at the end of the day, I think you can be an inspired by Hannah Nealman, you can choose to be inspired by Ballerina Farms instead of feeling threatened, instead of feeling put down. And if by reading and watching her content, you feel bad about yourself, I would recommend you don't watch it or read it. And I would also, in conjunction with that, recommend you kind of explore in your own feelings why and your thoughts, why what she's living threatens the way you're living. Because I have found that women who feel threatened by other women and men who feel threatened by other men for that matter. It's not just a, a, a sex thing. It's not just men versus women. But I have found that when we feel threatened by someone else, um, when we compare ourselves to someone else in a negative way, right? It's usually because there's something we feel lacking in ourselves. It's a lack of kind of interior peace that we have, interior confidence we have about our own identity and how we're living our lives. And if that's what we're dealing with, maybe buried under the surface and seeing Hannah Nealman's Instagram feed kind of provokes this kind of negative feeling in us, I think we need to go to God with that and be like, God, can you heal this part of my heart? And we need to get the affirmation and the love that we need from God as the unique individuals we are and you know, make sure we're getting that from our family and our, our loved ones. Because you know, if you're threatened by somebody else, it's because of something that you feel is lacking in yourself. And Maybe there's an area you can work on it to improve, but what it probably is, is you shouldn't be comparing yourself, you know, in that way. You have different gifts, different strengths, different struggles, different life, and that's beautiful, right? Because we're all different. So yeah, I thought the comments were edgy. I did not like the negative comments that she got. I mean, yes, you open yourself up to that on social media, so I'm not like throwing a pity party for her. She's strong. She chose to post what she posted. And you got to be willing to roll with it. Like if I'm going to post something on social media, I should understand that 
people are going to hate it and some people are going to love it and some people are just not going to care. And that's life, right? Um, so in that sense, the controversy is kind of, you know, engineered a little bit like, okay, yes, of course there's controversy about social media posts and motherhood. Um, but I think the positive takeaway is I find it inspiring. I find it inspiring that she made a commitment to be Mrs. American. She had her baby and she took her baby with her and she kept herself healthy. And, you know, she was able by God's grace to have a birth where she was able to get on a plane after a couple of weeks. I mean, I think that's a beautiful story right there. And we should celebrate for her. If we have the bandwidth, say good for you. Um, keep it up. So I, I, that's, I mean, that's my take on it. Good for you. That's awesome. And, you know, if another woman wants to share her story of how difficult her postpartum was and how she overcame that, that's a beautiful too, right? Every postpartum is different. I want to look at the uh, YouTube chat because there's lots going on in here. Um, not all post Adela says not. I love that name Adela, by the way. We're thinking about names for our baby because it's a little girl. So we're trying to figure out um, a good girl name. And I like Adela. Very pretty. Anyways, not all postpartum experiences have been the same. My third was a breeze. She was blessed with an easy delivery and recovery. Good for her, but she's not an example of all new moms. 100%. Of course, she's not an example of all new moms. And I don't think she's trying to be. And I don't think she's saying that she is. She's just posting about what she's been up to because that's what she does on her social media. And if people don't like that, then they should not follow. Um, somebody else, Jarls Kane says, have you heard of this medical condition called PMDD, like severe PMS? It just seems like an attention disorder, like who doesn't have bad PMS unless you're super healthy? Interesting. An attention disorder. I mean, I have heard of very severe PMS and that is a real thing sometimes because of endometriosis, endometriosis, I can't I pronounce that, um, or other conditions and it's real. Some women have horrible PMS and it's because of hormonal imbalances or other issues and they should get they should get medical care for that. But anyways, everybody's different. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Celebrate the strengths, um, you know, persevere through the weaknesses. And it is true. If you have a tough postpartum period, like postpartum depression, serious complications, that doesn't mean they're you. It's, it's not a reflection on your character. It's not a reflection on who you are. It's a struggle that God has allowed and God will bring beautiful things through even that struggle. So I, I think that Maybe that is the final point I should make here, that this is not about uh, your virtue or lack of virtue, your goodness or your lack of goodness, because you have a more difficult or less difficult postpartum period as a woman. And it's really the mindset, the spirit that we bring into our postpartum of, are we going to navigate the struggle or are we going to celebrate the successes, whatever it is, as opposed to you know comparing to other women or falling into this kind of social media comparison trap. All right. So um, good luck to Hannah Nealman at Mrs. American. Um, I also want to, because we're talking about Mrs. American and a pageant, I guess this is a weird transition to my sponsor, but um, Nimi Skincare, you guys have heard me talk about Nimi Skincare, um, nimiskincare.com, N-I-M-I skincare.com. This is the skincare that I actually use. They are the one of the sponsors for today's live stream. I use Nimi Skincare every day and every night. In the morning, I use their deep hydration cream, um, or in the night, I use their deep hydration cream and sometimes their vitamin C scrub. In the morning, I'll use their sunscreen. Um, the, the product is amazing. I mean, this is a pro-life, pro-family company, and it is you know beautifully packaged. That They did a great job with all of that, but the sources of their ingredients are great. Um, you know, there's different standards in the beauty industry of what's clean and not clean, but it's on the cleaner side of the spectrum and how they source their, their products. And I love the product. I mean, I've used, I've probably used at least a dozen different brands for my skincare over the years. And I've landed on Nimi and have been using them faithfully over the last several months and continue to use them because the results are just great. I mean, it's deeply moisturizing for my skin. The cleanser is great. All of the products that I've tried are wonderful. So check out nimiskincare.com. If you haven't already, you can use the code Lila at checkout and the code um, Lila at checkout will give you 15% off your order. So that's a generous um, percentage off nimiskincare.com. All right. Another really good news story that we got to cover here. When I saw this, I was super excited. Um, because I was a big fan growing up of this show. <laughs> Let's see, where's the show? I was a huge fan growing up of this show, okay? Even Stevens. 
Anybody in the chat, did you watch Even Stevens? I guess that's because I was a child of the early 2000s and late 90s um, when this show was airing. So Even Stevens was a Disney show, and I didn't get to watch a lot of TV growing up. My parents were pretty anti-TV. But then during election seasons, when there was like a presidential election, my mother would get cable, like get a cable package so she could watch Fox News. And that's when we would get to watch Disney shows. So I basically watched even Stevens, or if she had just had a baby, they'd be more loose or lax about TV rules so we could watch more shows. And anyways, my favorite show growing up was even Stevens. And Shia LaBeouf, of course, is the actor, the lead actor. And then his um, sister is Ren Stevens. And I just, I don't know, I found it hilarious and so funny and so fun. And it was like a clean, healthy show. Like I thought Disney, old school Disney usually was pretty good. So yeah, someone says on the chat, absolutely, who could for, who could forget Beans? <laughs> yes, Beans, one of the characters, this little like funny boy um, that was very cute. There's just, it just was cute and entertaining. Honestly, I should go watch, I haven't watched an episode of Even Stevens and a long time, but that's a good thing to do instead of just scrolling Instagram if you need to chill, like watch even Steven. So anyways, ever since I was young, I thought Shia LaBeouf was awesome. And I remember actually praying for him and his conversion probably in my late teens or early 20s. So he was also in the movie Holes. He was in Transformers. He was in a bunch of other films. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say like I had a crush on him. I won't go that far, but I just thought he was like, I always had this deep affection for him because of even Stevens. And I just thought he was, I just thought he was funny and fun. And I liked the curly hair. I have a son now, by the way, a two-year-old with like curly hair like that. And I just think it's the cutest thing. So anyways, I prayed for him and now he's Catholic. Now I'm just, <laughs> I take full credit. No, I'm totally kidding. It, um, I'm sure a lot of other people prayed. Most importantly, God um, pursued his heart and, you know, Shia, um, is it Shia? Sorry, I can't. big fan over here. I can't even say his name right. Shia, um, clearly a big fan. Anyways, Shia was, um, you know, not walking in a faith. And then he ended up getting involved with a film project about Padre Pio. Padre Pio is the very famous saint who uh, had the stigmata. He was said to be able to read souls um, he was really hated for a period of time by his own superiors and misunderstood, and he persevered in obedience and love. He's a saint from Italy, uh, really incredible saint, St. Padre Pio. But anyways, Shia was playing, I think, Padre Pio in the movie. He got to play him. So we had to deep dive the spirituality of Padre Pio and the beliefs of Padre Pio, and guess what that did to Shia? It changed his life. So I'm going to watch a little clip here. Um, from our friends over at Word on Fire Institute, Bishop Robert Barron, who brought Shia LaBeouf into the Catholic Church just a couple weeks ago. And then to bring it to a culmination today, because he received First Communion and Confirmation, so now is fully <laughs> initiated member of the Catholic Church. There he is. There he is, getting confirmed. He's going to get first Eucharist. So to me, it was a very moving experience. And I think it was for him too. I might cry. I've uh, <laughs> just received a lot of love since coming in here. You know, I don't have a big family until today. It felt like um, it's like everything came together. Like um, I don't know. I felt one word safe. Um, uh, there's like a I don't know a deepening, like a, a maturation in my faith is starting up, and confirmation is a big part of that. You know giving me permission really. It feels like, uh, you know, I, I was never able to really um, take part in Mass fully until today. You know, it's just nice to be a part of the thing. I was going through a really rough patch in my All right, so you just heard, if you guys can hear that, he was just sharing how he feels safe and how he feels he's part of this big family now, being in the Catholic Church. And that's what it is, it's a family. It's a family, it's the communion of, of saints, the communion of Christians. Um, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, if you're baptized, we're part of the family of the baptized and we're united in baptism. So it's not just a Catholic that you get united to, you get united to all baptized Christians, um, even those that are not confirmed in the Catholic Church or have not received the other sacraments. Baptism is is a shared sacrament that we have uh, with other parts of you know Christianity. People who are Christian, 
And it's just beautiful that uh, Shia has publicly shared about his faith because I think it gives permission to people who are wrestling with faith, who may themselves feel unhappy in their lives. They feel the hole, the God-shaped hole in their heart, and maybe they're seeking, they're looking for God. And when they see someone like Shia, who's a successful actor, he has his own you know, controversies with him, but he is this Hollywood actor, and they see him publicly go all in for the faith and say, I am, I am Catholic now. It gives them permission that maybe that too can be their path and that they too can enter the church and they too can receive First Communion, Holy, Holy Eucharist. I, everyone should have that permission that God is always seeking us. God always wants us to be closer to Him. He's always pursuing us. He always is, he's the, is the ultimate lover. He is love itself and He is love Himself and He wants us to be united to Him. And so we can always get deeper. Um, when I became Catholic, how many years ago is it now? I, I mean, it's been over a decade and um, almost a decade and a half. And when I became Catholic in college, it wasn't this like emotional moment, but it was this deep sort of psychological grounding of, I am part of, I believe the church that Jesus founded and I can receive Jesus in the Eucharist, these sacraments. and. I can even get deeper. You know, I was raised evangelical, as many of you guys know, and I love so much of my evangelical background because I learned so much about Jesus and about his love and the, and the Bible. But it was just this deepening into the heart of my Savior and getting closer to him. And I think that's what um, that's what Shia is expressing here, which is so beautiful. So welcome to the church, Shia. Um, we'll keep praying for you. Come on the show, by the way. There was a comment earlier in the chat I saw saying, I thought this was going to be a conversation with Shia LaBeouf, not a talk about his conversion. And I was like, oh, yeah, we should have a conversation with Shia on the show. Let's bring him into the studio. So we'll we'll reach out. We'll see if we can get him out here. That would be amazing. Um, he is obviously um, an inspiration to many people because he's following God's voice and seeking to continue to walk closer to God getting closer in with God. All right, so congratulations to Shia. Um, we're gonna see more of this, by the way. You will see more conversions. The Holy Spirit's at work. He's doing a great work in the world, always, even when we can't see it, even when it seems dark. And he's working on the hearts of man, the hearts of men and women. And our prayers can help that spirit be even more efficacious when we unite our little meager actions and our, and our little hearts to the work of the Holy Spirit. So pray for the conversion of your neighbors and friends. Pray for the conversion of, you know, your favorite hated politician. <laughs> you know, if you're like someone who rails against Gavin Newsom in California, pray for his conversion. Pray for that actor who drives you crazy or annoys you, that influencer on YouTube that you don't like. Whatever person annoys you in your life, pray for their soul. Pray for their conversion. The fruit of your prayer can be there, could be their conversion that could change the world and lead even potentially millions of future souls closer to God. That is the power of one move of our heart towards God, one prayer of our heart corresponding with God's grace. So keep praying for Shia, pray for all people that you encounter and let's pray for each other too. Pray for me, I need to be converted every day. So pray for me too. Um, all right, another um, thing I wanted to do with our live before we wrap here is talk about um, some of the questions that we got in because we promised a Q&A. We got in a ton of questions. Um, okay, here's a fun one. So these are taken from Instagram and there's some in the chat. So if you guys are still here, um, feel free to put stuff in the chat and I will answer here. Um, before we do this, I have to thank our last sponsor of the show and that is Seven Weeks Coffee. I wish I had my coffee mug with me. I could use, actually, a cup of coffee sounds really good right now. Um, being pregnant, being 29 weeks pregnant, you just feel tired a lot and you just want to like, lay around and drink hot drinks and eat cookies. So anyways, um, I don't think I'm going to do the Hannah Nealman style after I give birth and get on a plane and go, <laughs> go be in a pageant. I'm more of a sit on the couch and have a cookie with my newborn um, and, and heal. But anyways, but good for her, right? That's the whole point. Um, but seven weeks coffee, you guys have heard me talk about seven weeks on the podcast before. Seven weeks coffee, um, sevenweekscoffee.com is the website. This is America's pro-life coffee company. Um, gourmet coffee, amazing roasts. I mean, they have delicious roasts that you can choose from on their website. They give 
10% of all their income, not just profits, their revenue to the pro-life movement directly. It's amazing. They directly give it to pro-life pregnancy centers to help moms and babies. So go to sevenweekscoffee.com, order some coffee, support the pro-life movement, have a delicious cup of joe, enjoy it, and get 10% off on me by using the code Lila at checkout for 10% off your order. That's sevenweekscoffee.com. All right. Q&A, let's go here next. Um, back at the YouTube chat, someone says, FYI, Hannah Nealman is Mrs. America, not Miss. Yes, that's right. I think it's Mrs. American, actually, technically. We have it wrong in the description right now, I think, so we will update that. But you're right, there's a lot of these pageants, Miss America, Mrs. America, Miss Universe, and she is Mrs. American, if I understand it correctly. Um all right, I'm going to take a question from the YouTube chat first, and then we'll go to some of the DMs we got. As a girl mom, the thought of having a boy terrifies me. I do pray that one day we will be blessed with one, though. Is there anything that scares you about going from being a boy mom to having a girl? It's an interesting question. I've talked to a lot of moms and dads about the differences they feel between raising a boy versus a girl. I don't think I'm scared of anything. Um, I'm very blessed. I have a great husband. I've got a great community. And I feel like I've, you know, I have two other babies that I've been raising. So I have this sense of confidence. Um, I know it will be different. She's super active in the womb, by the way. She's like constantly kicking me. In fact, the ultrasound technician at the 20 week scan was like, oh, I think it's a boy because when they're this active, they're always boys. And I was like, oh, I'm having, uh, this is my third boy now. And then like 10 minutes later, she's like, it's a girl. <laughs> so um, I do not feel scared, but I do know it will be different because girls are different than boys, despite what the media tells you, they are absolutely different. Um, and I think that there will be new things I'll learn as a mother that I'll have to be attentive to. And I'm looking forward to learning those things. I am very excited that we are blessed with the opportunity to raise a girl because I know that it's different than raising boys, but I'm kind of down for whatever. If we have more boys after this, more girls, I told my, both my husband and I are like, we'll take them. We'll take whatever God sends. So I just say, don't be afraid. Like, yes, there's a sense of awe and reverence we should have as parents because bringing life into the world is incredible. And it's, it's outside of our control in many ways. Like we don't, control our kids. They're God's kids. But don't don't be afraid. Trust in God. He's going to give you the grace you need to be the best mother to that girl or that boy that you are called to be. And, you know, get help from community, from good advisors, um, practice being in the present moment. But I think you're going to do, you're doing, I'm sure, great as a girl mom. And if you have a boy, you'll do great. All right, let's go to the some other comments that came in here. Um, okay, a personal one. Can you share more about how you met your husband? So sure, I love talking about my husband. Um, I met Joe when I had been living in DC for several years in my 20s and I moved back to the Bay Area for just a few months before I was gonna move to Los Angeles to open Live Action's headquarters there. And I felt called to go leave DC. I was doing like intense pro-life work. I was building live action. I had all these employees and doing all this activism and Congress stuff. And I just felt like I got to go back to California. Like the fight is going to be in California in many ways. And I just got to go there. And I also just had this sense that that's where I'd meet my husband. It was a sense I had. So I went back to the Bay Area and long story short, my oldest brother, whose name is also Joe, introduced me to my husband's husband, Joe, because they were working together. And my husband, Joe, had just started working with my brother, Joe. And he had also been out of state for several years serving in the U.S. Navy. Um, and he has back in California working in a new career. And anyways, God's grace, we connected and it was love pretty quickly. And we obviously um, fell in love very quickly, but it was just, it really felt meant to be the timing because my brother introducing him, being back in the Bay Area, um, falling in love, you know, in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area um, at this moment when I felt like the doors were kind of opening for this next chapter in my life to enter into marriage. So were there tough times before that? And I'm not trying to like, you know, make it sound, um, you know, more easy than it was, especially in the lead up, because I had to learn a lot of lessons in my 20s before getting married. But I think it was also um, 
really God's time, just trying to follow God and, and be obedient. So yeah, there it is. There's the, I guess, the, the cliff notes of the story. Advice for a 22-year-old woman who desires for career to, go, to honor God and glorify Him. So 22-year-old woman who desires for her career and wants to honor God and glorify Him. Um, I mean, if, you're, if you've got a talent, an interest, obviously you're, you're, you're working hard and you're building a career, you have a mission field that you're in, maybe you're in nursing or you're wanting to start a business or whatever it is, I would say, you know, go into it, like give your, give your best, give your excellence to it. Um, I would encourage balance in all things because as women and as men, if you feel called to marriage, right, then we shouldn't allow ourselves to be fully consumed by work or career or by really anything, any one thing, except for the will of God, right? So I would say like, you know, do your best, be excellent, be the best in your career field that you can be, but don't compromise your relationships, your prayer life, your physical health, and be open to love if you feel called to marriage. You know, go on dates, be open to love. So yeah, I mean, go for it, right? The sky's the limit. Um, but I would say balance in all things because I think sometimes our culture can tend to maybe overemphasize or to um, even encourage disordered obsession with like, you know, physical beauty or with success, you know, career success or, you know, being super well educated. And I think these things can all be beautiful and good, but balance and pr proper prioritization is needed in all things. And I give that same advice to men too, not just to young women. Um, Okay, how do you respectfully tell your husband he needs to clean up after himself better? Another comment that came in. Okay, um, we had John Deloney on the show and um, he gives marriage advice live. Like he, people call in and give him live tough questions and he answers it. It was a really fun episode. Um, I feel like this is a, a one of those sorts of questions and it's a, you know, this is the real stuff of life, right? If you're in a marriage, there's stuff you're working through. I would do what your question is, you know, find the time, make space, first of all, for conversations with each other, as well as not just negative conversations. Like for every one negative thing that you want to talk about with your husband or your wife, I would encourage that you spend, you know, five times as much time building them up or talking about positive things or encouraging them or celebrating good things about them. So I want to start with that, that, you know, they, they talk about the good news, bad news sandwich, like, you're so wonderful, but I hate that you are so messy, but you're so wonderful. I don't even like the good news, bad news sandwich. I think your sandwiches just need to all be good. And then occasionally you sit down and you say, hey, can we work on this thing that's frustrating me or bothering me, right? So <laughs> um, I would just start with that underlying principle of, you know, have a beautiful, positive attitude about your husband or your wife and about your marriage and build them up and encourage them and be a soft place for them to land as much as you can. If something's really grating on you, make space to be like, hey, this is really bothering me. You know, I I wanted to bring this up. Don't make it like you did this. Make it more like this is bothering me. And, you know, is there a way I can help you with this? Or is there a way we can work together to overcome this? Because I realize it's probably really hard for you to always be doing cleaning up or like maybe you're tired after a long day of work or in the morning you, you know, don't want to do the breakfast dishes or whatever it is, but can we figure out a system because tidiness is really important to me, right? And you can kind of have that conversation. That would be my advice there. Um, okay, we're gonna do one more question before we wrap here. How do I deal with an old friend who doesn't want to talk because she had an abortion and I'm pro-life? This is a tough one. Um, and it's so heartbreaking because, you know, there's, you know, there's many, many of you listening might relate to this where there's family members or friends who you know have had abortions and they won't talk to you about it or they just don't really want to talk to you generally because you are a reminder to them of what they did. And they're really not at peace with what they did. I mean, that's what that that's what's at the heart of that. You know, like for example, I'm at peace with my faith, right? That I'm follow, trying to follow God. So even if I know someone doesn't agree with my faith, I'm not like afraid to be or sit down with them. Like I have family members who don't agree with my faith, but I'm not like afraid to have dinner with them, right? But if someone doesn't approve of you or what you've done, right? 
and you're not at peace with you and what you've done, it's harder for you to sit down with that person. So I would just first say that this is about them, not you. Obviously, this is about something that they've done that they, I don't think, can be at peace with. How can you be at peace with ending the life of your baby? And if they don't want to talk to you, you can't force them to talk to you. You cannot force them to talk to you. You can pray for them. You can, if there's an opportunity, they give you like a little opportunity, a little way to communicate. You can say something loving or encouraging to them. But I don't think, I mean, they know where you stand. If you're posting on social media, if you've had the conversation with them before, if you're involved in the pro-life movement, I mean, they know where they where you stand. And by the way, everyone should know where you stand, in my opinion, on things like abortion. If you go about your life and the majority of the people you interact with have no clue that you're a Christian, have no clue that you're pro-life, have no clue about any of these things, are you really living those things, right? Are you? It's like that famous quote, Do, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian if you died? Is there enough evidence? There should be more than enough evidence. We should be proud, humbly proud of our faith, unapologetic about our faith, not to push it on people, but to celebrate living it ourselves, okay? So I would just pray for her, pray for her healing. And if you have the opportunity, encounter her with gentleness because she's probably in a deep, deep way, not at peace with what she has done. Um, to round out this episode, because we're going to wrap here, I started it by talking about the fall of Roe v. Wade. The anniversary is coming up this weekend. We uh, discussed the 32,000 lives that are saved. I do want to just encourage people listening to get involved in the pro-life movement if you have not already. You are needed. Every voice is needed to speak the truth, to get involved with your time, your money, your prayer. We need you. So liveaction.org is my organization. We want your support. We want your help. We want to get you involved. There's many other pro-life groups, but the pro-life fight in many ways has just begun after the fall of Roe, and we need everybody. So hopes to see some of you guys this weekend at the Walk for Life. Live Action team will be on the East Coast too at the March. And thank you all again for being here for the live and bearing with the technical difficulties today. I'm glad we got through them. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your day. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. And also don't forget to check out the Locals community that we are building. I'm really excited about it. Locals is a place where I can talk directly to you guys. We can go live on Locals. We can do special um, behind the scenes access stuff. I'm giving away a signed copy of my book, Fighting for Life, for the first 20 people who become paying members of the Locals community. You can learn more about the link in the bio, but I will personally send you an autographed copy of my book, Fighting for Life. So go check that out at locals.com and the link in the bio. And we will see you guys all next time. Thanks for tuning in.